Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, guys. Welcome back to The Liz Wheeler Show. So there's this new popular narrative that you'll hear from the left, whether you're on Twitter, whether you listen to cable news channels, this is on MSNBC a lot, whether you read woke stuff. You'll hear leftists accuse conservatives or Republicans who use the word woke. They'll say, if a Republican says the word woke, it is a dog whistle that actually means anti-black. So for example, if I look at Disney and I say, wow, they're really pushing these woke initiatives, their queer theory stuff, their critical race theory stuff, this is really woke of them. And I am using that phrase as a pejorative because it's a description of something that's negative. It's something that embraces this neo-Marxist, radical leftist ideology. So it is a pejorative. I'm not denying that part. But the left says whenever someone on the right uses the word woke as a pejorative, as as an insult, a description of something that they they intend negatively, that it's a dog whistle for being anti-black. And my initial reaction to this is, I think, the same reaction that we probably all have, the same reaction you probably have. At first, I balk at this. I say, wait a second criticizing Disney or whoever it might be. That's just that's just the example that I pulled out of the hat. Criticizing Disney for propagating critical race theory and queer theory on children has nothing to do with racism at all. It has nothing to do with, well, not racism from me at least. I guess critical race theory is, is, is racialized Marxism. But it has nothing to do with how the conservative using the term woke treats people of another skin color or whether they they are committed to equality. And it really has nothing to do with how you and I understand the word racism, how we understand the word equality. But what I want to talk about today is taking that, that, that shared, this universal reaction that conservatives have when leftists tell us that we're being anti-Black, when we use the word woke in a pejorative way, Um, Taking that that reaction and putting it aside, I want to explore the idea, what if the left is actually correct? When the left says, when you and I use the word woke, that we are propagating anti-blackness, what if they are correct? Now, I don't mean that I'm a racist. I'm not. I don't mean that you're a racist. You're not. But what if they mean something entirely different by black and white than you and I mean when we say black and white. This is a continuation from Tuesday's episode where we're talking about the crisis the Democratic Party is facing because the Democratic Party has these incredibly woke, incredibly radical, oftentimes Marxist politicians and activists, but the voter demographic of the Democratic Party, the average Democrat in our country, the average liberal, the average leftist going about their normal lives aren't radical. They aren't Marxist. They, and there's this, there's this, there's this conundrum, this contradiction between what the leaders of the Democratic Party want and what their voters want. Even if their voters don't really know that it's what they want, they've kind of just gone along with what the politicians have said so far. But the Democratic Party 
the, the voters are about done just going along with what the leaders are saying. And the Democratic Party is reaching a breaking point. It's about to, they're about to reach this crisis point. And what I want to talk about with you today is exactly how this breaking point is going to happen, how this disintegration of the woke ideology is about to go down. Because the woke cult that I'm talking about is built like an actual cult. And so it's very predictable, not only how they operate, but how everything is going to fall apart. So let's get to it. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. All right, with me now is a man who Wikipedia calls an American author, Helen Lewis over at the Free Press, and I believe also in The Atlantic. I'm not sure if it was Helen Lewis in The Atlantic or not. Uh, lumps together in an article titled The Golden Age of Gurus. I thought he would be a perfect person to talk about with it, about this with. He's also the founder of New Discourses, which you have to pronounce exactly correctly or else it sounds like nudist courses. Um, and I think actually you have both of those URLs. We've talked about this before. It is Dr. James Lindsay. Right. James, good to see you. Hey, thanks, Liz. That is correct. We do own nudistcourses.com and it will redirect you in case you get lost. And sorry about your disappointment if you were looking for something more exciting. I think it's a perfect redirection. In fact, if someone is looking for something tawdry on the web, they should, in fact, read about Marxism and Maoism and how it's corrupting our culture. So what I want to ask you first, before we get into the structure or the cult-like structure of the left, and I'm talking about the ideological left right now, I want to I want to ask you how you would define the word woke. As you know, a lot of a lot of leftists on Twitter in the the commentariat are trying to redefine this word, saying whenever Republicans use the word woke as a description, they're using it as a pejorative, and these leftists are claiming that Republicans who use the word woke actually mean anti-black. How do you define the word woke? Okay, so depending on how long we want to spend on this, I can tell you why they're not exactly lying, but in fact that they're operating from broken definitions. Woke means having critical consciousness. It's not more complicated than that. It actually just means being conscientized as the Brazilian critical Marxist by the name of Paulo Ferreri explained it. He said that the point of education, in fact, was to become conscientized. Becoming conscientized means understanding the structural reality in which we live. So now you're seeing the world differently. You see it in terms of structural forces, dehumanizing forms, he said. you know, So we might have systemic racism, systemic sexism and transphobia and homophobia shape our reality, our social reality, and thus our lived experience or our lived realities. Becoming awakened to that is being woke. Becoming awakened in Freire goes on to explain that conscientization means that you understand that if you aren't awakened to it and you just go along with things as they are, or, you know, truth or education or whatever, knowledge as you think it should, it is, as the society says it is, that you're engaging in what are called domesticating modes. And so being woke means being aware that people are trying to domesticate you all the time if you're one of these activists. So then we get back to this point that they say it means being anti-black. Well, first of all, black for them means something different. It means being 
conscientized into a critical consciousness of what it means to be a black person in uh, the West. And so if you are against the idea of a critical consciousness of race, then you are technically by their definition being anti-black. And when you say that being woke is bad or that having a critical consciousness approach to race or sex or gender or sexuality or any of these other factors, if you think that that's bad, well, what you're actually trying to do is domesticate the activists. So you are engaging in the domesticating modes. And so being woke means being awakened to the fact that society is structured this way, that it operates this way, and that we must resist it using a form of criticism that Freire outlined, which is the critical method. Critical theory is what we've probably heard of, but that's one of denunciation of these domesticating forms and modes and these dehumanizing uh, structures. It's relentless denunciation of those through a critical perspective in a way that announces the possibility of a better world. I saw a quote that isn't quite exactly what we think of by woke the other day by Greta Thunberg saying where she was being interviewed about what they were doing. And she says, well, it isn't our job to provide solutions. It's our job to demand change. And that's what we're talking about there. It's that you can see all the problems in the world and you can demand that somebody do something about them. And it doesn't matter if you know what it is you're supposed to do or not. But that's what woke means. Woke means having a critical consciousness, having been awoke, awakened or awokened to a new way of seeing the world in terms of structural power and how it operates and how it harms people, et cetera. So that's interesting because it actually means when the left says that those on the right who use the word woke to describe leftist behavior, and sure, it is as a pejorative, right? Of course it is. But it's also just a descriptor. If it's a negative descriptor, it's more a commentary on the behavior of the left than the intent of the person on the right wing who's using it. Um, it's really exposing the fact that they're not advocating for racial equality, they're not advocating for justice, that they're advocating for a Marxist ideology. And that's that's their way of telling us. I, I personally like when they show their true colors because it's a lot more powerful coming from the actual activists themselves letting us know, like Patrice Coolers did and Alicia Garza did at the head mm -hmm. of Black Lives Matter when they were like, oh, we're trained Marxists. Well, then I didn't have to sit here and right. you didn't have to sit there and say, listen, these people are neo-Marxists. They're pushing, they're pushing actual communism on us. Nope. Black Lives Matter people said it themselves. You don't have to take our word for it. That's what you hear when you hear um, when you hear the left say using the word woke in a pejorative way means anti-black. Yeah, I mean, so what people need to understand very simple, a very simple rule of thumb that you need to understand is that in general, Marxists use the same vocabulary you do, but they use a different dictionary. In other words, they are using terms to have specialist meanings, just like in science. If we use a term in a, in a scientific sense, sometimes it has a very specialist meaning and it can't mean other things. They're using terms in a specialist sense, but rather than using everyday words, or rather than using scientific terms, they're using everyday words with a specialist meaning. So you think anti-black means against black people and then you get defensive and they can convince people that you might be a racist, but they mean anti capital B black, where capital B black means having awakened a critical consciousness of what it means to be black under critical race theory in America and engaging in neo-Marxist activism as a result. And so they aren't lying. They're intentionally misusing words. And I said intentionally just now, that's actually not even totally fair, because I think after a while, if you get if you swim in this kind of cult water long enough, you adopt that mentality and you actually start to think that's what the words really mean. That's how they present this. I first got into this arguing with gender studies and feminists 
who were saying that sexism is systemic. And I said, well, why didn't you call it systemic sexism when you mean systemic sexism and leave other sexism out? And they said, because all sexism is systemic. So they absorbed the whole meaning of the term. So they're actually using these terms to mean something different than what people think they mean. And then they can play these rhetorical games and come back when you criticize their stuff. You can They can say that this is a code or a dog whistle for being anti-black. They can be not lying because of what they mean by the word black it means that like Larry Elder wasn't authentically black, right? He's a white face of black or black face of white supremacy. Dave Chappelle isn't black. He made jokes from white privilege. We can go down the list of all of the not black black people because they don't have the right attitudes because they're conservatives or because they made fun of some woke initiative or whatever. And uh, what it means then when you're being black is it for them with the capital B, as we all often see now, is that you have adopted a critical consciousness. Now, unfortunately, lots of people who participate in this don't know this. And so you will have a lot of yeah. black people seeking identity in the capital B black, and they end up in this kind of murky zone where they're kind of doing some of it and they aren't doing some of it um, because the activists are using the word intentionally in an ambiguous way to manipulate circumstances and people and institutions. And they're very successful at it. As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at seven. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at eight. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at nine. It's must see TV in primetime every night on the first TV. Watch the first on DirecTV channel 347, Uverse channel 1220, or DirecTV stream. America is on trial. Join me, Josh Hammer, as we examine the presidential election through the only lens that truly matters, the legal proceedings of Donald Trump and the Biden crime family. This new daily podcast examines breaking news and analyzes the biggest questions facing the country. Can the former president, Donald Trump, get a fair trial? Can Trump be disqualified from the ballot? Can Joe Biden pardon his son, Hunter? Can Trump even pardon himself? We cover all the action every morning. Listen to America on Trial wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Well, you mentioned Larry Elder and you mentioned Dave Chappelle, but the most recent and probably most egregious example of this is Tyree Nichols, who was beat to death mm -hmm. by five black police officers. And the reaction from the left is to say it doesn't matter that those police officers were black men themselves. This was an act of white supremacy, regardless of the feelings or any any ideology of those individual officers. And a lot of, a lot of conservatives were like, wait a second, this is really contradictory of how how we understand the meaning of words, how we understand the meaning of intention. And the left doubled down on this. It wasn't just an accusation that these individuals were individually racist and that they had individual racism as a motivating factor behind their brutal, their brutal murder of this, of this young man, Tyree Nichols. Um, this is a perfect example of it. Do you think that the phrase um, institutional capture, which is becoming more popular in conservative circles now that we understand, you know, what Fauci did at the NIH and the CDC and the FDA and, you know, the Department of Education, teachers unions. We see examples of this. Do you think vocabulary capture is an accurate parallel to what the left has done with a lot of what a lot of these uh, words and phrases? Yeah, linguistic capture, dialectical capture, um, lexical capture. You could come up with a bunch of different words, that vocabulary capture. These are all all accurate. On the point of institutional capture, let me be very clear. The target of this accusation of white supremacy in that particular event in Memphis is not those five black officers either. They were accused of being 
vehicles of white supremacy, but the target is the institution of policing. And the argument that they made, which I am proud to say that I made before they did, um, not that I gave them any ideas, this is the only place they could go with it, is that the institution of policing it's, is itself white supremacist in its existence. And so even if a black person enters into that profession and starts to operate within an institution, they'll be infected by those values, those norms, those expectations, that structural reality surrounding them, because this is what Marx called the inversion of praxis. This is what the critical theorists uh, refer to as an introjected consciousness. Uh, or a false consciousness, they have had the the so-called white supremacy attached to the institution impressed into them. So then they become vehicles that reproduce the white supremacy, so to speak, which of course has its own different meaning. Uh, they use a different dictionary. So there's your vocabulary capture. But the point is of doing this has nothing to do with those five men. It has nothing to do with them. What it has to do with is calling the institution of policing racist so that they can control the institution. So in other words, their target isn't the five people that they're calling out, so to speak. They have another target. And this, in this case, it's the institutional target of policing, which they wish to bring under their control. And so they're very, they're not just irritating with these things. They're not just strange. They're not just confused. They're actually deliberate and strategic. Um, and th there's a purpose behind what they're doing and they know what they're doing and how to do it. And they're actually good at it. Well, they're very good at it. Look at the, unfortunately, look at the cultural institutions, the civil institutions, Gramsci might've called them in our nation. Now they're entirely captured by the left. The cultural hegemony has happened. It's just a matter of if we're going to recognize it, right. the reality of, of the political enemy we face. And once we recognize it, what we're going to do to fight back. So one, one of the things though, that I find interesting is how many people in our country have bought into what we're talking about, have bought into this linguistic capture, this vocabulary capture, uh, wokeism, right? It's not, just, it's not just corporations that are controlled by ESG. It's not just democratic politicians and activists and radical college professors. This is, a, this is an everyday thing that a lot of people, even if they're not active in politics, are taking part in. And yet I sit here and I have a very hard time believing that the majority of people in our country are Marxists. I don't believe they are. Right, I don't. No. I don't think that most fact, people, even if they're doing this virtue signaling, yeah. are captured by this ideology. So explain to me the structure because it is deliberate. This is not an accident that these people are captured without knowing that they're captured. Yeah, it turns out that cults tend not to be. It's like if you want to, we're going to be in a cult, and I do think that woke is a cult. I also think Marxism is a cult. And just spoiler alert, I think they're the same cult uh, as it turns out with with different mechanisms and emphases that they use to, to achieve their ends. But if you were going to like join a cult, you, who's going to walk up to like the cult building, the office building and knock on the door and say, hello, you're a cult. I would love to join the cult. That's not how it works. They, <laughs> these people will meet you at a coffee shop or a train station or, or the airport or whatever. And they'll start to make, especially if you're new to a college or new to a new city, and they'll start to befriend you. And they hit you with things like affirmation and acceptance and try to just become your friend. And they don't really bring you too deeply into it. They just start often, in this case, using words differently and getting you to have a psychological commitment around the way that you're using those captured terms. So they use the words racism or white supremacy or whatever differently, and you're trying to make friends and you're trying to fit in and you start to mimic their uses of the language. And then you are not in, in the cult yet, but you're actually kind of being initiated into its outer outermost circles. And eventually when you start to become emotionally or psychologically or socially 
uh, or morally dependent upon that circumstance. When you've gained enough desire for unity, as Mao phrased it, to join into the the group, the in-group, to actually become something more formally a member of the cult, um, then you enter into what uh, in the cult structure you might call an outer school. I'm actually borrowing, by the way, I practice it. This is a little strange diversion, but it'll make sense in a moment. I actually practice one of these old school Chinese martial arts. And so I'm deriving my terminology actually from the Chinese martial art pedagogical structure model, where they have two different levels of students, which are the Wai Jia and the Nei Jia, which refer to outer school, and it literally means outer school and inner school. The outer school students are allowed to practice the techniques, but they aren't allowed to, quote, know what they mean. The inner school students learn what the techniques mean and learn to apply them and practice on a deeper level. And then you have at the highest level, you have an inner circle that you would refer to usually with students as, as disciples. So you have these people that are initiates that are getting involved. Then you have these people that are um, familiar with the with the doctrine and learning it through study, as they say, shui shi in Chinese, nuts from Mao, not from my martial art, as it turns out. They're learning the doctrine of the of the cult after they've already committed to it psychologically, emotionally, and morally. That's the inner school. So you have an outer school. They do most of the work. They carry most of the water. They don't know what they're doing. They're just trying to fit in. That's most of your Americans who are woke. Then you have an inner school. That's the ones who are so-called doing the work. They're going home and reading Ibram Kendi. They're going home and studying what it means. They're using people's pronouns. They're getting into why are we using people's pronouns? And those people are going from being initiates into being adepts. And the adepts, if they are very, very serious, might go on to get a doctorate in this. They might go on to become an organizer, a community organizer or whatever. And then they become disciples, which is a, a much deeper commitment to this. Those people like Patrice Coulour is standing on stage giving it away know what they're doing. And so the cult structure always has like layers like an onion. And we don't have to name any particular cults, but you have an outer school in general. It may have multiple levels. What in the Marxist cult is, they say, is that that's characterized by a desire for unity coupled with criticism to bring you deeper and deeper and deeper into the fold. Then there's an inner school and they are studying the doctrine. That's what it's characterized by. They read they actually do read Marcuse. They do read Freire and Fanon. They do read Judith Butler. They do read those scholars that most of the people in the outer school have never heard of. They may be in the outer school you've heard of Kendi. In the inner school, you're reading something much harder like Franz Fanon. And then the disciples are the ones who become the organizers and the, uh, the, the leading scholars in the field. And they actually know what's going on. It's a little weirder than that because there's still a further inner school that are actually the leaders um, which are, in this case, I don't even know if they often believe it, but they're funding it. And believe me, they know why they're funding it. And it may not be for the purposes of the, of, of the membership of the cult on any level below them. Um, so with that, what you can end up with is a, if there is a conspiracy at all, it can be a very small conspiracy of a very inner circle of a cult held together, say by blackmail. And then they have disciples who are pushing their stuff and they are paid well and taken care of well to keep them committed. And then below them, you have people who actually know the cult doctrine well and study it and teach it to the people who are in the outer school who have just kind of absorbed it through culture, or they've had it pressed on them in a process of desire for unity and criticism, for example, in their DEI training at work or their unconscious bias training at work or their SEL lesson at school. That's exactly what those tools are made to accomplish in those environments. 
so of these four levels, I want to I want to be practical here. I want to be concrete. I don't want to be just abstract. So I want to talk about so this 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 highest level, this inner circle, this leadership. Um, you said it might not even be an ideological commitment. It could be a monetary commitment. They're certainly the ones that are funding it. Who would be an example in in the in the cult of wokeness? Who is an example of the the innermost circle, the leadership? Um, the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Open Society Foundation all immediately come to mind. If you go read the articles, these are very large organizations with often billions of dollars behind them. If you go and look at their the articles they publish, it's virtually all this. It's either woke or sustainability, which are actually two sides of the same program. And so they definitely have the money. They definitely have the resources. They definitely are the ones that are the agenda setters. They have the ability to spin off like Open Society Foundation is very famous for having possibly hundreds or maybe maybe even more than a thousand subsidiary nonprofits working under it. For example, the African-American Policy Forum, which is run by Kimberly Crenshaw, the creator of critical race theory. Uh, it, these are the people who know what they're doing. These are the people who are. So the structure, let me let me instead of these four levels in kind of the abstract, let me be a little more concrete and go back to Mao. He says that there are people who have decided to be socialists. That's your outer school. Some of them have studied and become communists. That's your inner school. Some of them are loyal enough to become party members. That's your inner circle. And then some of those can be party officials. That's your leadership. And those are the layers that we're seeing here. So what we're talking about is the leadership. And when you look at the higher level players at the World Economic Forum, probably in some of the established things like the Democratic Party uh, or the very left party, I forgot which one it is, in Canada, you're, you're looking at the people um, who are probably in the know, but United Nations, unquestionably, everything they publish is about this now. Everything they publish is about this. Uh, World Economic Forum, we could get into it more and more. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they're too well-placed, too rich, too well-organized, too well-connected not to know what they're doing and not to have purposes behind what they're doing. Now, is Bill Gates woke? I don't know. Is he manipulative? Much more likely. Does he have to be woke in order to use woke to manipulate people? No, not at all. And so you can see how the ideological commitment may not be the main driver. A lot of cults, not to be um, too, too crass, but a lot of cults are like smaller scale cults are driven by somebody who basically is like a weird sex fiend who just wants people to give their wives over or whatever for, for their own personal use. And so they create this whole like religious movement. And then we know what it's really about. Does that guy care about the religious stuff? No, probably not. He has a vehicle to get something that he wants. I'm not saying that that's necessarily what some of these people at the top are doing. I don't know what they believe. I haven't spoken to them. I haven't read enough of them to know, but it's not necessary is kind of the point that I'm making with that leadership circle. But again, it's party leaders, then party, then communist, then socialist, and everybody else according to Mao, isn't people. In fact, he openly said not to have correct political opinions is like not having a soul. So you become a non-person if you're outside of the cult structure. And that's usually a tell that it's like, you know, if you're this kind of Christian and I'm that kind of Christian, or one of us is a Christian, one of us, neither one of us is like, you're not a person, right? But if somebody's saying, if you don't right. agree with me, your personhood status is in question, you, you might actually be uh, walking down cult status and that's what we've seen. I mean, we talk about this political upheaval and racial division that's been roaring in our country for the last almost two decades, but probably since the Obama administration, 
um, to the extreme that it is now. And that's that's been the biggest difference, is this lack of humanity that the left has aimed at the right whenever the right pushes back. It's no, it's no longer just a matter of political bickering based on differing policies. It's a, maca, it's a matter of the left claims that you aren't, that you should be deplatformed, canceled, ostracized, essentially socially put to death if you don't agree with them. And that's, that's different. That's the, not something that's existed in our country. So Inner Circle would be the organizations, World Economic Forum, United Nations, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, et cetera. The Inner School, which you described before as the disciples, these are the people who understand what they're doing, the ideology that they've, they've studied it and they're propagating it. Who's an example of that? I mean, I don't know how much she knows about what's really going on, but I named Kimberly Crenshaw a moment ago, one of the leading theorists of critical race theory. These scholars that you constantly see doing Zooms, these people that are going out and showing, um, that are doing the, the consultation, your DEI officer at work. Those people are the inner school. They're people who have done the work, as the phrase goes. They have studied as they said in Chinese, they've learned the, is Mao's words for it, were the people's standpoint, the Ren Min Ren, I can't even do it, Ren Min Li Chang, the, the people's standpoint. They've, they've learned to see from the perspective of the oppressed, so to speak. They understand the systemic nature of reality. They've been fully awoken. They aren't just, you know, going along to get along. So the people who are doing the workplace trainings, the consultants, the professors, the, um, activists, the organizers, that's your inner school. Those are the people who have bothered to read the stuff and they actually know the stuff and they can advance the theory at the higher ends of that if they need to. So that's your adepts actually. And your disciples are the ones who have been brought in a little bit further into leadership. Kimberly Crenshaw is probably, we get up to these kind of top scholars, foundation organizers. You're probably dealing with people who have a, a foot in disciple world, and maybe they're just high level adepts. It's all very vague, by the way, in woke. There are no like, I mean, if it were like the Masons, there are initiation rites between levels. There's no initiation rites in woke. You, you, you went to college, you got a PhD or whatever. Okay, that kind of counts. Um, maybe to the top level of leadership, there is one on, on Epstein's Island or something, but I don't know about these things for certain. Um, I, there's no blatant initiation rights. There are just, you know, kind of social processes, including struggle sessions and, and criticism, and then eventually study and then, you know, certification of your study, the market. But we're talking about consultants and professors and organizers and activists at the level of the inner. So school. if you are a professional, if you are a professional and not an amateur, if you're making money off of this, if you've been formally trained in this, then you are part of the inner school. So Nicole Hannah-Jones would be someone else. Mark Lamont Hill might yes. be someone else. Alicia Garza, yes. Patrice Coolers, these people who who know what they're talking about. They're not, they're not simply duped by this. So the outer school, talk to me about this because the, these are actually the people that I'm most interested in because the inner circle and the inner school are a threat to our country and are a threat to the globe. Their ideology is poisonous, evil, toxic, satanic, whatever word you want to use to describe just the worst of the worst, the most destructive to humanity. But there actually are few and far between. Right now they have a tremendous amount of power because their strategy has worked in this institutional capture in our country, but it wouldn't work if they had not captured the masses, this outer school, these people who are not informed about the ideology. Talk to me more about who these people are and how they get so gripped by this ideology, even when there are voices saying, hold on, wait a second, think about what you're doing. Do they just not believe the opposition or talk to me about this because this, this is a head scratcher to me. 
Yeah, so this is actually the linchpin in understanding how this works. And I I don't know if it's a legitimate statistic, so I'm going to quote it anyway because I'm very responsible with information. Uh, I saw the other day that there, somebody had put on Twitter something that looked authoritative as an estimate. And I mean the other day, like two weeks ago, no way I'm ever going to find it again, that the number, the proportion of the professional workforce that's actually activists, actually outright woke is probably about 3%. Okay. So that's, that's your inner school. So it's like the top 3%, top 5% maybe in terms of having learned about this stuff that count as that. So what do you do with the rest of the, of the woke, which maybe is like, you know, 50 or hundred million people in our country, for example, what are they? Well, they're not intellectually committed. They don't know the intellectual side of it. They don't know the rationalizations. They're almost always first morally and then secondly, socially committed. The way that the um, the woke manipulations work and the way that they're captured, first of all, there's Ferrari's aspect, which is that teaching a disposition toward criticism to denounce the dehumanizing forms, to learn to see them and denounce them. This is extraordinarily simple. You can teach anybody this in half an hour. All you have to do is tell them, did you know that racism is basically baked into everything? Here's an example of how it works. Here's another example of how it works. Here's why skiing is racist. Here's why being outside is racist. Here's why math is racist. You give them a few examples. They can go out and repeat this very simply. Oh my gosh, did you know that you know elementary school and its very concept is racist? Here's why. And they can say this stuff. But it's just a moral disposition toward believing that there's this kind of picture in the world. And so they get rewarded when they have the good one. They get affirmed. They get accepted. We hear gender affirming care, for example, within the sexual aspect of this. And then on the other hand, they get denounced or criticized when they're wrong. So this this moral thing, they want to be right. They want to be good. I don't want to be a bad person. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to be a racist. I don't want to hurt some tra poor trans person's feelings. They got enough going on. I want to be a good person. So what do I have to do? Pronouns? Okay, let's use pronouns. And you just start doing that because you want to be a good person. You want to be kind. You want to be nice. You want to be thoughtful. You want to be ahead. You want to be a little progressive. You don't want to be conservative because Jon Stewart will make fun of you on television. And that would be humiliating and shameful and embarrassing if your friend found out you had a conservative opinion, then you couldn't go to the party anymore. That kind of mentality, that's a moral commitment that bleeds into a social commitment. So you start to a, a, later as you as your morals twist into the cult because they've misused words and you don't want to be a racist. So you have good morals that are being subverted into cult morals. And you start doing this to your friends and family. Some of your friends start shying away from you. So the cult teaches you to say that they're racist or they have internalized homophobia if they're gay or whatever else. So you, they have problems that the cult can diagnose. You have to distance yourself from them. They're not going to get it. They don't get it. You got to get away from them. And that moral commitment, not only does it alienate you from your former, former social groups, sometimes tearing apart families, it also commits you to your new woke social group so that if you decide to go against this and they criticize you, what are you going to do? Walk? You won't have any friends. Or in the professional world, you just, yeah, you can still work here. We just, we're, we can't just, we can't do anything with you. We're going to put you in the basement like Milton Laddams. You can have a job or maybe you can't, maybe you cross too far. We're going to have to cancel you after you get rid of you. So your social life, your professional life, everything might depend after you've committed into this for a while, especially if the institution is committed into it, if it's a workplace may depend on you at least mouthing this stuff. And so that's actually how it works. The inner school is directing the doctrine and setting the institutional policies and the social norms around you through these kind of brutal, what they call renormalization and demoralization tactics. 
so that you will morally commit to the cult, even though you don't know what you're committed to. You just think it's it's got some sense. It doesn't have to be clear that this is good versus being bad. And then later your social circle starts to depend on it. And now you're socially committed. And after that is when you're stuck enough to where they can start to pressure you to study. You know what? Our friendship would deepen if you'd go bother to read White Fragility and we can talk about it. I can't really have a cross-racial relationship with you until you do that. That kind of mentality. Now your social thing starts to depend on Shui on study, and they've taken you into the beginning stages from initiate, which is a moral and social commitment, into an intellectual commitment where you're going to learn the rationalizations and eventually become an adept or an inner school member. So the outer school are people who are either going along to get along because they just don't want to fuss and it's just easier and they don't really necessarily know, or they think it has something to do with what, what it means to be a good person, or they've gone down that road far enough to realize that their very cat fighty, catty, nasty friend group is going to treat them really badly if they don't go along with this and go along with this more deeply uh, as they go. And so you get more and more first morally, then emotionally, then psychologically and socially trapped into the outer school as you spend longer in the cult. Meanwhile, it's separating you from other influences. Couldn't be around your family because Uncle Joe is conservative. He might talk about Trump at dinner. Can't go there. They're basically racist, as a matter of fact, and on and on it goes, separating you from family, separating you from friends, separating you from people outside of the group, conservatives, anti-black, got to stay away from them. You wouldn't want to get your the racism on you. You don't want to hear racist opinions. You don't want to have to deal with that, etc. So again, First moral, then social, then in, that's outer school. Then the inner school starts taking up intellectual commitment to it. So it's essentially the same thing on a much larger scale as the age old, like if you're the nerd in high school, you do what the cool kids say because you don't want to get a swirly in the bathroom. It's just bullying. Yeah, more or less. Except much more on a much On a much more... <laughs> much more serious scale, much more institutional scale than just that individual, but it it appeals to the same part of human nature that doesn't want to be rejected or fears being mocked and wants to be accepted for, for something larger than themselves. That's right, yeah. And, and so with the woke or with communism in general, they identify, I mean, it's, it's cultic, but they identify your, they put your sense of identity eventually and lock it inside of your class identity. And then they give you the tools so that you can only interpret your class identity through class struggle. And so this is, like I said, it's a slow, you know, you just want to be a good person to your social group depends on it to then you're starting to get locked into your identities defined in terms of it, which is a social and psychological phenomenon, a moral phenomenon for you. That doesn't happen until it gets much deeper, but then by then you're stuck and then they start getting you to study and so on. So it is, it's a very similar phenomenon. It, it's, it's weaponizing social ostracism in a very particular and nasty way to get people to join up with the worldview. And so because of, and I, I go back again to Paulo Ferreri's work, I spent all last year studying Ferreri. I published a book in December about Ferreri. If you want, if somebody wants to get it, it's called The Marxification of Education. They can go look it up. So I know a little bit about Ferrari. Ferrari was basically the big guru. He's the Marxist, the big Marxist you've never heard of. And he was the guru that came up with the educational method by which you can train people to adopt this disposition. That's what he calls it, a disposition or an attitude, a cult attitude of criticism without ever having to know why they're a part of it. What they want to be, they don't want to be in a cult. They want to be change makers. 
They want to change the world. They want to be change agents, change activists, change, change, change. And that's what it's all about. They want to denounce like we all do. Every normal, healthy, good person wants to denounce things like racism and so on. Well, they exploit that virtue, that value uh, of goodness to turn it into denounce this thing that we've called racism and they trick people into it. But Ferrari made it so that it's kind of like you can package it up very simply and deliver it to people and and train them to do the cult thing, even though they've never heard any of the cult literature or doctrine at all. Ferrari really is the key to this and people um, haven't heard of him and, and don't know enough about him to understand why and how it, it works and how it happens. Yeah, and, and you mentioned this word change. You'll, you'll note this phrase, agents for social change. That's what the leftists use, and they use it positively, but they're talking about what you're talking about. I mean, even the word progressive, how the leftists describe themselves. What does progressive mean? It means progress. It means change, changing something from the status quo. Um, and Freire practiced well, exactly that. what what he if, preached. If I might be more specific, um, Mao says that progress means progress toward the socialist state. So they're quite specific. Progress means go. progress in their direction. It doesn't, there is no progress outside of their direction. Everything outside of their direction is reaction. So in a sense, all of this is quite heavy, but it's kind of encouraging at the same time, because when we think about the, if we think about the number of people, you mentioned 50, 100 million people in our country who are willing, let's be concrete here, to either turn out in the streets for a Black Lives Matter protest or use someone's quote unquote preferred neo-Marxist pronouns, the numbers of those of those two groups are enormous. That's a lot of people. It sounds discouraging when you think of that many people being captured by the ideology, but if they're not actually captured by the ideology, they've just been socially and morally manipulated into it, then there's some hope for reversing this and um, not just reversing it in individuals, but reversing it culturally and politically. How it, I guess putting politics aside for a second, because we could, that's a whole different show to talk about how to reverse institutional capture. But when we're talking about the capture of individual minds, how do we go about reversing that for the people that are just pawns, they're not ideologues? Well, the short answer is that we just keep exposing it. And when people see through it, they get upset and they get disgusted. Or if they see how they've been tricked, like imagine that you went to a street magician and you watched the trick and then somehow you didn't have $20 in your pocket anymore. You'd be pretty upset when you figure out how he stole 20 bucks from you. Right. And so this is when people are manipulated, they don't like it when they see it. So exposure to the average person, actually, we call it red pilling. They eventually see something that doesn't square, say, for example, five black police officers being branded white supremacy through some tortured argument that takes a paragraph or two. And they say, this is nonsense. And in fact, the, the reasons for hope are high. I see lots of their articles that they write, both um, kind of popular press, but also academic press. And they write a lot about something called activist fatigue. And they've been complaining, actually, since early of 2021, that with like BLM protests, you said these people will turn out in the streets. Well, they did for six or eight months. And then it was like, are we really still doing this? Do we really have to keep doing this? And they're very upset with it. If you read Klaus Schwab's books, right? The Great Narrative for a Better Future, his 2022 book, Great Reset Book 2, he calls it. He complains that corporations, you know, they get their sustainable and inclusion agenda. So that's sustainability and woke. And he says, well, a lot of corporations are just woke washing. And that's his word. He says woke washing and greenwashing their operations. They're not really committing to it. They're not really that interested. In fact, they're trying to find workarounds, which means most people who are going along on the outer fringes of the outer school, which is probably the overwhelming bulk, I would guess 90% of, of the woke phenomenon, um, 
is already showing signs of being sick and tired of it. And yeah, they want to be a good person, but like, do I, I have to go to another March? I have to read another book. No, 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 no. I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to be racist. Fine. Okay. Systemic racism. I got you, but they're, they're already showing signs of fatigue, which means that the psyops hasn't locked them into the cult. A lot of them are afraid that for their social circles or whatever, but those things can change. Those things can change and people will change quickly. Um, so there are lots of reasons for hope, but the ways are that you have to just keep exposing the absurdities of their approach. I think that they did a great job of that for themselves with the drag queen phenomenon all summer and the kink phenomenon into the fall, you know, and it just kept getting more and more grotesque to the point where it, it's now not only gross, but boring. Um, and people are kind of fed up and sick of it, but not in this um boiled over rage kind of way that was very scary for a moment, in my opinion, because their goal is always to provoke a reaction that they can use. And now as people are looking at it and they're like, really, we're still doing this, you need to cut it out. And that kind of an attitude means that the spell is being broken for them. It, it is not actually a good definition of what it means to be a good person. You are not required to be this way. And the more of us that talk about these things or that show up and go to conferences and get together and have events or whatever it is, even if it's just meet and greets or whatever, the more it becomes obvious to normal people looking on that there's a social life outside of the trap and that then they can start to step away from that, start to question some of those beliefs. They can start to look at them more objectively. So exposing it, explaining it, and showing that there's another world out there um, at the social and cultural level is actually a long, patient game that feels like a magic trick, but will eventually work uh, because it will steal away too much of their support from people who are sick and tired of having to jump every time a woke inner school member adept says jump. Um, and that's actually the truth as for institutions, mm, that's a little harder. Actually, it's much harder and nobody knows the answer to that. Uh, and that becomes a challenge that's, um, fairly unique because they've actually conquered the vast majority of our institutions, which normally should be the, the, the guardrail against this kind of thing, right? Normally your kid should see something on television or whatever, and it's, inappropriate. And then they open their mouth about it at school and the school doesn't shuttle them off to some club after school and love bomb them into transition. They say, no, that's not correct. Let's talk to your parents or, you know, something they, the institutions are supposed to guardrail society, not throw it off the cliff. And so with their institutions captured, we're in a very weird moment. I've been saying for a, a few months now that woke is a zombie ideology. Uh, it controls the institutions, but nobody on the ground really supports or accepts it anymore. I mean, 30% of the left probably is still kind of morally committed to it. And then everybody else is sort of tired of it. Um, it it's frustrating to people. I talk to, to Democrat, Democrat people all the time who are just sick and tired of it. It's like, can we just, I won't be racist. Just let me live my life. And so I think there's a lot of hope actually. And I think they know that that activist fatigue is setting in and they don't know why because they hadn't committed those people to the cult deeply enough or they alienated them or they hurt them yep it's called churn and burn they churned the activists and burned them out and now the activists who aren't ideologically mm -hmm. committed should be should have be ripe for the picking meaning they should their minds should be open enough to uh the lies that have been perpetuated in the name of wokeness that maybe they can see through it and and hopefully like you said, I, I find it. I find it encouraging. You say you find hope. There is a way. There is a way to um, to right this ship. Dr. James Lindsay, thank you so much for being on the show. Everyone can go and find his work at New 
discourses.com, or you can go to Amazon. He's written about 100 billion books on all of this stuff. Highly recommend them all. James, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you, Liz.